are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Network, your league every day. I'm your host, Matt Moore, tonight, filling in for David Locke, uh, probably trying to get over the fever that the Utah Jazz put into him as they scored 154 tonight. Uh, Bobby, your guest episode for this episode. I'm the senior NBA writer at the Action Network. Uh, I am also the host, uh, co-host of Locked On Nuggets. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at HP Basketball. This episode is brought to you by the Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked On rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. I just got on there to talk about playoff picture. And we'll talk more about the playoff picture with tonight's guest, as always, on Thursdays, Ben Golliver from the Washington Post and the author of Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season, available wherever you order books right now and will be out next week. Am I correct on that, Ben? Tuesday, May 4th. It's coming fast. I cannot Oof. wait, Matt. It's, this is like my first child being born, so I'm counting the hours. I've got a go bag, all of it. It's amazing. It's amazing. I've got a copy. I started looking through it, and uh, you guys are going to love it. So make sure to order Bubble Ball uh, as soon as, like, stop the podcast, go order that, and then come back because you should do that right now because Ben is awesome. All right, Ben, let's bounce around the NBA and get a look at the games tonight. Uh, it's This was one that I circled. When I looked at the slate on Sunday, I looked at these games and was like, all of these games have playoff implications. Every single yep. one is significant either for standings, tiebreaker, both, some aspect. Let's start at the very top. The Phoenix Suns are back in the postseason, 109-101 over the Los Angeles Clippers, clinching a playoff berth, not for the play-in. They are actually in the top six. They are locked in to the playoffs. Chris Paul, 28 points, 10 assists in this one. Uh, Suns got out to a really great start. thought their first quarter was phenomenal. Uh, Clippers battled back in this one without Kawhi Leonard, but ultimately Chris Paul clutched down the stretch way too much. Devin Booker with 21 points, 919 shooting. They did a good job on him there. Uh, thought Paul George was fantastic in this game early, but later on kind of cooled off a little bit. But 25, 10, and 4 for PG, but he was a minus 14 in this game. They needed a bench to get back into it. Um, the Suns are back in the playoffs, and the Clippers are now tied in the loss column with the Denver Nuggets, Ben. No, I mean, it, the standing stuff is just getting wild. I mean, you think you know who the matchups are going to be, and it does change kind of night to night. I think for Phoenix, I'm loving the Chris Paul um, Love Fest tour that we're getting right now. I think it's so well-deserved. I've been banging the drum all year for him first as an all-star and then as an all-NBA selection. I think when you get yourself in that kind of position in the standings, I, I would hope that he's almost guaranteed to be rewarded at this point. And his impact goes beyond the stats, even when he's not shooting the basketball well or making a huge impact scoring. But tonight, I mean, he did a little bit of everything and is in complete control. And, and that's sort of been the story for them. Um, the turnaround here is remarkable. I mean, I, I think it's the first time in 11 years that they make the playoffs. Those were some dark, dark 11 years as well. And I mean, they even the times when they were good, it was heartbreaking. Like they had that one year where they flirted with it and were like the best team to you know, missed the playoffs at the best nine seed we'd seen in like 10 years. Um, and then there was also a bunch of really low valleys. I mean, tough lottery picks, the Marquise, Chris, Dragon Bender, debacle, um, you know, Eric Bledsoe forcing his way out of town with that story about not wanting to be there. Coaching change after coaching change. I mean, the ridiculous goat in the uh, 
the office story from Robert Sarver, and just really no reason to keep hope in that organization for a long time. And yet here they are. Monty Williams comes in, adds a level of credibility and stability. Chris Paul shows up the following year. The young guys make, you know, gradual progress pretty much across the board. And, uh, you know, Chris Paul orchestrates everything. They start playing much better in close games and they have awesome health and availability all season. Next thing you know, they're one of the most stable teams in the organization. It's a or in the in the league, I should say. It's an amazing turnaround and they deserve their credit. Yeah, and we'll talk more about how that came around in the second segment. There's some tough questions that I think have to be asked about the Suns and the way that we, we look at things. Uh, not the one year is indications of everything, but I think that there's a lot of implications here. For the Clippers, you know, look, no Kawhi Leonard. This is not a team that goes to the wall in the regular season anyway. Uh, the Jazz, the Suns were obviously up for this game. But, like, look, the Clippers are now tied with the Nuggets in the loss column. Nuggets have a back-to-back versus Toronto tomorrow. Uh, these two teams, the Clippers and the Nuggets play on Saturday. That's for tiebreaker. That's a really big game now. Um, this is like, could be the difference between the playing the Mavericks and the Lakers. And you don't honestly know which is going to be which with the Lakers dropping another game tonight. Um, but this is getting pretty, pretty serious for the Clippers in terms of, I will say this, if you're a TV executive that works with the NBA, your your hair on end tonight looking at the scores because the odds of Clippers Lakers went up significantly tonight as far as a first round matchup versus a Western Conference Finals. No, and if you're the Lakers, you're so annoyed, right? Because you were feeling like you were just about locked in with that uh, Denver Nuggets matchup for a while there. And now all of a sudden the Clippers are taking their foot off the gas. Look, the Clippers have a lot of motivation here. I don't think they want to play the Lakers in the first round either. I mean, you'd way rather have Dallas or Portland in the three, six, or even better to get up to the two in face a team that's coming out of the play and where they're tired and they've had to log an extra game when you've been able to have uh, you know, a chance for rest. So if I'm the Clippers, you know, don't take your eye off the ball here. You still have plenty to play for down the stretch. You know, I understand, you know, not going, uh, you know, guns blazing every single night, but still try to take care of your business. Um, you know, if you're the Lakers, here's a question. Would you try to keep it close with Dallas in the standings just in case you wanted to tank out of a first round matchup against the Clippers? You know what I mean? Let's say uh, the Clippers fall to four. If you're the Lakers, do you want to be like within, you know, spitting distance of the Mavericks just in case you want to drop a couple games right at the end of the season to avoid that four or five with the Clippers? I would think about if I was the Lakers, because I just think they match up so much better with every other team in the Western Conference besides the Clippers. I think the Clippers give them a tougher head to head, uh, you know, showdown than anybody. I would really think seriously about, you know, trying to control their destiny when it comes to those seedings and doing really whatever it takes to be on the opposite bracket from the Clippers. I am always of the mindset that you should aim for the optimum matchups. However, I do not think that LeBron James shares my viewpoint. I think he would be like, no, we're not doing that. Come on. We don't, we don't duck anybody. I'm LeBron James. We're the Lakers. We're the champions. We're not ducking anybody. Like whatever happens, happens. So I just, I, I just I say LeBron, LeBron anything. consult both your ankles before you reach that conclusion. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> uh, the Blazers got back on track uh, or continue, I guess, to get back on track tonight. Dominant performance last night versus the Pacers, but the Pacers were without their two centers. But then they go into Memphis after losing the season series to the Grizzlies, losing tiebreaker and absolutely blister them 130 to 109. This game was not close, uh, especially after the second quarter. They just ripped the game open in their worst quarter. Uh, the Blazers are now 17 and eight when they win the second quarter of the season. 
Um, that's uh, maybe may, maybe something I know from having bet against them in almost every second quarter of the season. Maybe maybe that might be a thing. Um, Blazers put two games now of separation in the loss column from the Grizzlies that fall back. Now they're just a game over the Warriors. So the Grizzlies go from, hey, maybe we can make a run for the sixth seed to now it's like, uh-oh, now you're back in danger of winding up ninth and then having to win two games in order to get in. So uh, the pretty significant result and a nice bounce back for Portland, who has played good defense last two nights, and their offense has absolutely been red hot fire the last two nights as well. Yeah, I mean, just quick take on this one. I thought it was a heart check for Portland. You know, when you drop two back-to-back against Memphis, you know you're going to be in that seeding battle. You know they can make your life more difficult in the play and if you fall back um, and you know, they were talking a little bit too about, you know, how things went down those previous two games, you better show up. And, you know, it was nice to see them show up for once. I, to me, their efforts been pretty inconsistent, especially defensively, even here over the last month or so. And I thought Memphis really took it to them twice, honestly, uh, previously. So if you drop this game and lose three in the same week to the same team, it's sort of like, well, where's the season even going? And I think from that sense, they probably had a little bit of like a playoff mentality going into this game and they just needed it more badly. It reminds me a little bit of a playoff series where you're down 2-0 and, uh, you know, the other team tends to win that game three if they've got some real heart and gumption. And that's sort of what happened here with uh, with Portland and Memphis. Um, how are you feeling about Memphis lately? I know you you track them pretty closely. Um, do you think that they have any shot to kind of come out of this, this play-in group? I think people are going to circle the Warriors and Blazers and say, well, they've got Steph and Dame, so good luck to everybody else. Uh, are you are you pushing it back maybe on that conventional wisdom? I have a hard time with it because I think Memphis is tough, but they play so out of control in these late-game situations. They're just trying to press. They're trying to overcome everything with effort, and it's just not the way to go. In late-game situations, you need to value your possessions. And Ja, just because he's so athletic and so explosive, he's always just trying – to make something insane happen, make a huge play. <laughs> like he goes for home runs constantly. And as much as I adore his game and think he's phenomenal and he's going to be a superstar in this league, it, it's a problem late in these games, especially in these playoff environments. It's tough. The other problem is Desmond Bain was one of the, was one of the best players in terms of a bench unit performer and one of the best shooters in the league this season. Uh, De'Anthony Melton, <clears throat> was one of the best plus minus players in the league. And especially amongst bench players, Anthony Melton's going to win six man of the year next year, by the way, I'm booking it. I'm calling it right now. Um, they have both struggled a lot since justice Winslow took over primary ball handling duties with the second unit. It's a, it's a thing and it's a real problem. The chemistry has not been the same. This team, I still think that they, they play well. They're still really gritty. Their defense is good. They, they defend really well. Um, Portland just hit a lot of, of tough shots tonight. Memphis couldn't hit anything, but I think of those playoff environments is one thing I worry about. I don't know what to make of the Warriors. I mean, I just, I just don't know what to make of the Warriors because, like, look, yeah, they got Steph, and Steph is amazing, but the rest of that team is just cheeks. <laughs> no, they're so high variance. I mean, we saw that this week in the Dallas game where it's like that game was over, what, halfway through the first quarter or something like that. I mean, uh, you could see a play-in scenario where Steph has 50 and, like, they win by 20. And you could also see one where it's just like the biggest dud of all time. You know, they can't stop anybody. They give up 130 and it's like, sorry, here comes the off season. And everybody's looking around like what happened? I mean, either scenario is in play for golden state. I mean, it's, it's pretty unpredictable what which of those teams are going to show up. But um, I will say the, the play in has added real intrigue for me here over the last couple of weeks down the stretch of the season. I mean, 
Portland Memphis, that's kind of a game you could give or take if it was a, you know, a standard uh, top eight format. I mean, you're interested, but I think it's more interesting when you're looking at, you know, how these teams are jockeying and, and potentially who would they face in the first round as well with Utah and, and Phoenix close too. I mean, there's just so many different permutations and combinations. It's been, uh, yeah. it's been pretty fun. It's been a nice byproduct. Yeah, it's this is a winning this is a winning formula for what they wanted to accomplish, which is more intrigue late in the season. Um, some quick notes before we go to a break here. Uh, Nuggets get a win over the Pelicans off a controversial no call on what very much looks like a Nikola Jokic uh, foul on Zion Williamson after the Nuggets led by like nine with a minute to go. Wild game there, but the Nuggets get the win. Uh, Heat survive a, a rally by the Spurs. That was a big win for the Heat to stay in contention for a playoff spot, not in the play-in. Spurs slip a little bit further back. Knicks get another win. Just keep doing it. Bulls are fading f- further and further from the play-in territory as the Wizards uh, get a, another win as those Lakers get another loss there as, again, they are now only one game up on the Mavericks for the five spot. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Suns a little bit more, uh, as well as one score we haven't talked about except right in the beginning, uh, which is notable on multiple fronts, I think. And we have some things to compare with the Suns and the certain team. And we'll do that after the break. But first, I do want to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, rockauto.com. You've got all these different parts that you need for your car. You need your car, not the SL, not the SX, not the whatever. You need your version you're going to find it at rockauto.com and you're going to get the same price that everybody gets. Chain stores have different prices for tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low for everybody. They don't require a membership and there's no account login. They've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, Prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there. How did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. We'll be right back on Locked On NBA. Back here on Locked On NBA, thanks for joining me. I'm Matt Moore, guest hosting for David Locke tonight alongside Ben Golliver. Ben, we talked about the Suns making the playoffs and how much this is, you mentioned that there's been peaks and <laughs> valleys. Um, and I think it's interesting because Robert Sarver, okay, built the 2000, not built, was the owner <laughs> during when they built the 2000 Suns. Um, with Nash and Amari, a, a true title contender. And since then, and even like during that stretch, because he famously sold the Rajon Rondo pick, you know, he's been described as like one of the worst owners in sports because of how cheap he was. And yet he brings in Monty Williams and Monty Williams resets the culture alongside James Jones. And they just completely like overhaul everything. And the culture is really good there. And you add Monty Williams and how he's built discipline. And then you add in Chris Paul. And I even like, I'll, I got to credit Jones a lot because I did not have a lot of, I was not high in the beginning. Um, thought that he was doing too many, too, too many favors for LeBron, but ultimately like brings in veteran players that helps book get better, brings in veteran players while they build Aiton and Booker and bridges. And now you've got this core I'm not saying that Sarver is a good owner, but I'm asking like, what does it say that you can build a good team with what's perceived as a bad owner? 
Well, I mean, first of all, he had some pretty rough GM hires before James Jones, and he had some pretty rough coaching hires before Monty Williams. So is this a case where he's like shooting one for five from the field? Maybe, Um, maybe that's one way I would put it. Um, I do think that, you know, they're kind of a sleeping giant. I mean, warm weather climate, um, you know, passionate fan base going back decades, tradition of winning, you know, before he got there for sure. And reasons for people to want to go there. If you want to golf, you know, if you're in that stage of your life or your career, um, you know, Phoenix is a good spot for you. And we've heard that from players over the years. So, you know, to me, they were just drastically underperforming for a long time. I was right there with you. I had no faith in James Jones coming out. I mean, some of his early draft picks were really questionable in terms of where he was getting them. Why wasn't he trading back to get the same player? Felt like he was constantly drafting everybody eight or 10 spots too early. But the Monty Williams hire was right on the money and it was the right timing. And when it happened, I almost expressed regret on behalf of Monty. I was like, don't do this, man. Like, just wait for another job. There's going to be something else that's going to open up. But credit him for having kind of the vision and the belief in the young players. And then just also kind of credit his competitiveness and wanting to get back into the game. You know, it is tricky. There's only 30 jobs. And he was a coveted uh, assistant coach for a long time. And he had a stint in New Orleans where... Um, you know, maybe it didn't end the way that he wanted it to. And he had a very tragic, you know, twist in his uh, personal life uh, with the death of his wife. But for whatever he was able to see or whatever the pitch was from James Jones to Monty to get him down there, it was absolutely paid off in the best possible case scenario. I couldn't imagine how it would have gone any better than this. And I think without Monty, I don't think you get Chris Paul. I know there's been a lot of talk about, oh, Chris really wanted to go play with Devin. I mean, just knowing Monty as a communicator, as a compassionate human being, as a straight shooter, um, as a competitive guy who's, you know, really focused on winning and kind of squeezing the most potential out of his team, that's speaking Chris Paul's language. And that's going to be a comfort factor for Chris when he's probably looking at what's my next move going to be as Oklahoma City retools. So uh, you got to say they lined up the pieces very well. And I give Chris a ton of the credit here, though. I mean, I do think if you take him out, Aiton is going to look a lot different, a lot less effective. The young role players are going to be, you know, more looking around for direction and not executing as well late in games. And I think Booker is probably averaging a lot more points, but maybe not having quite the same degree of impact and success from a win-loss perspective as they are with Chris Paul. So that's why I continue to sing his praises. I don't know if I'd have him quite in the MVP conversation. I know some people try to get that started, and I think there was MVP chance for him actually tonight from the crowd. Uh, But to me, he deserves a ton of the credit here. But I think the bigger question is, we know he can establish a really high baseline during the regular season. He did it with the Clippers. He did it with the Hornets. He did it with, um, you know, the Rockets. He did it with the Thunder. He's doing it again here with the Suns. Can he kick it up another gear? Is there a playoff gear that he can get to that he hasn't been able to previously? To me, that's an open question. And when we're looking at this, you know, Clippers-Suns breakdown from tonight, you know, you mentioned Kawhi doesn't play. Well, if Kawhi plays in the series... I'm taking the Clippers in that one. I don't really care what the seeds are if those two teams face off. What about you? I like the Suns a lot in the matchup. Um, part of it is because I don't see any scenario in which Ty Lue does not trust Zubach. And with Zubach, you have to play drop. And if you have to play drop versus Chris Paul and Devin Booker, I think you're going to lose the series. If he goes to Ibaka and he switches one through five, then yeah, I like it for sure. But if you don't, then you're going to get separation. The other thing is, I really the Suns did this tonight without Crowder and Sarich, and those guys are are central to their ability to switch versus the Clippers. And you have to be able to do that. Like you need to be able to switch one through five to slow down their offense. Um, 
I think I'll, I'll take the Suns, but I also think about these things from a betting perspective. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a better price on the Suns relative <laughs> to how close the two teams are. Um, well, and that's the thing. I mean, like, I, I, don't you think that yeah. the public is going to be favoring the Clippers pretty heavily? The media yes. is going to be favoring the Clippers pretty heavily. And yes. so that puts the pressure on them. They've never been a great team with pressure. Let's be honest. Yes. I mean, even when Kawhi won his title in, in Toronto, it was kind of in this underdog, you know, unexpected role. They did not handle being the favorites very well in last year's playoffs. And I could see that being a problem again for them this year, whether it's Phoenix or maybe even Utah or, or Denver. Any of those teams, the Clippers are probably going to get favored uh, just from a, a reputation standpoint. And I'm not totally sure they've earned that. I think a lot of this is one of the reasons that I took the Nuggets versus the Clippers last year was because I knew the Clippers wouldn't take them seriously. I genuinely <laughs> feel like, yeah, I genuinely felt like since they signed Kawhi and PG, the entire team has been in the mindset of we're building towards the Titanic showdown versus the Lakers in the Western conference finals. And like, they just think that everything else will take care of itself before they get to this big dramatic moment. And I'm like, guys, the other, the, the other teams want to win too. And, and they also have good players. You kind of need to keep your eye on the ball. So that's the question is, do they, and I'll say this too. Um, I don't trust Kawhi's leadership if they get down in a series. Like I can go through all the tactical stuff and switches and points per possession and like off ball shooting and the sun's bench and how pivotal it is for them to be able to bridge gaps and things like that and handle foul trouble. But like at the end of it is if the Clippers are down three, two in a series, I do not trust Kawhi Leonard to rally them. He may have a big game, but I do not trust him to be like, stay together. Like we can do this. It's not who he is. And that's a major problem for me. They do not have an emotional leader. That's an issue for me. I could not agree more. I love it. Um, I've been kind of preaching that about Kawhi Leonard for a while. And so you're speaking my language. So you don't think Rondo is up to that test? <laughs> I mean, look, you know, R Rondo's beloved in those locker rooms, but just like there's, and, but here's an interesting question though. It's like, all right, it's like Rondo at this point in his career, but Chris Paul's doing that at this, at this point in his career. Right. But I do think it's, um, I, I think it, he, the player has to be one of your, your, if not your best player has to be one of your two best guys. And I think PG wants to do that, but nobody takes him seriously. We got those comments last year after the playoffs. And then I think with Kawhi, everyone's like, he's the guy, but Kawhi's just like, yep. And that's it. Like, there's just nothing else there. So they got to, they got to lead on the court first. I mean, those guys got to get going downhill, get to the free throw line, get, you know, tough points in the paint and show everybody that they're playing with heart in those situations. And they didn't do that last year. And I think that's what led to some of the personalities and the questions, because if you're going to talk, if you're going to try to be that vocal person, but you're not, you're all you're doing is settling for 18 footers every time down. Why is anybody going to listen to you? Yeah. Let's uh, take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the team that I teased earlier and the team that had a very bad night versus a very good team. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about some coaching stuff as well as we continue on on Locked On NBA. But first, I want to tell you about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. This week is tons of sports action on the go as the NFL draft is on, and the Kentucky Derby is back, and the first leg of the Triple Crown begins this weekend. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information 
information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get in the game as teams prep for their runs into the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. We'll be right back on Locked on NBA. Today on Locked On Today podcast, is Cam Newton still the planet quarterback for the New England Patriots? Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Matt Moore joined by Ben Golliver. Ben, um, is it more accurate to say that the Utah Jazz had a very good night or that the Sacramento Kings had a very bad night as they lost 154 to 105 at home? Well, I wanted to ask you, I mean, I know you're the Action Network guy. At what point did the Jazz go over in this game? <laughs> like, was it before <laughs> halftime or or what, what was the, when, when did it happen? I mean, because 154 is insane for a non-overtime game, first of all. And like, I mean, if you had to guess which team you would score 154 points against, obviously you would pick the Kings. And so I think we should give a lot of credit to the Kings defense on this one, as well as you know, praising, uh, you know, the jazz players and they were down guys too. Right. I mean, no Mitchell, no Conley, if I'm not mistaken. So that's just crazy. Um, but I mean, from a betting standpoint, at what point were you feeling good here? <laughs> so the, they hit the over with 444 remaining in the fourth quarter because the Kings only had 87 points with 444 remaining in the fourth. Oh, man. Yeah. So the total was 220. Didn't go over until the 440 mark, uh, 444 mark, but you probably felt pretty good. Uh, let's see. It hits total hit, uh, 90% with eleven forty-two in the fourth quarter. So you, you felt pretty good for the majority of this game. So look, um, Tony Jones from the athletic was talking about this on, on Twitter as the jazz just destroyed them. He was like, this new game needs to be proof. You should never, ever, ever play drop versus the, the jazz, which, most teams play drop and most teams don't, don't change up in the regular season. And so I, I kind of get it, but there were no adjustments made whatsoever. They just like kept playing it through. This is the worst home loss in Sacramento Kings history. All these years of mediocrity, all these years of being terrible. This is the worst home loss. It's hard to lose by 49 points. Like I, it really is not easy to do that. And I mean, I, I understand that the Kings whole focus here with their coaching situation was like, let's just try to get through the season. You know, we don't necessarily want to pay another coach and it kind of financially motivated. And I think there's a number of organizations right now that are in that kind of spot where, you know, like times are tough, you know, times are tight. They're not getting all the revenue in the building quite yet. And so a coaching change or even letting a coach go at the end of the season or just letting their contract expire is a good way to save money long-term. Um, but you know, when you're seeing results like this and you've seen the, just the crazy fluctuations in quality of play from the Kings this year, I mean, so many streaks this year, losing streaks and, and they might play well for two weeks and then just completely undo it. They've got to change direction at this offseason, right? I mean, I understand trying to hold down the fort during the pandemic year. They have to come back with a new coach next season, right? They have to. Like, you just got to. Um Trying to figure out who who to replace. Like this is one of the things is with Chris Finch off the board. That's like my number one candidate is is Chris Finch. Maybe Darvin Ham. Like I feel like you should go young assistant. Don't go retread. I think you should go you should go young assistant again. 
like Walton was, was a young assistant with the Warriors. I know that, that, but he was also like the head coach of the Lakers. And you thought that that was the upgrade for you. Um, I think like take somebody who hasn't had a run yet. I think Darvin Ham is probably like the best option at this point. I think that they're going to have no other choice. Right. I mean, I think when you're at this point, like it's a tough sell, you know, obviously guys want head jobs. There's only 30, but I mean, what are you really pitching at this point? You've got, you know, two quality guards in the backcourt, you know, young guys up and comers. I mean, to me, I could take or leave buddy healed, whatever. I mean, I don't think he has any impact on wins and losses personally. Uh, Bagley. I mean, that's a mess. That's not an asset. You know, you got to figure out how you're even going to solve that. Um, and then I, I just look at the rest of that roster and I see tons and tons of questions and not very many answers. They seem pretty far away from having like a really reliable playoff quality nucleus still after all these years, um, you know, you're going to probably have to sort out a Harrison Barnes situation in the not too distant future. I'm not sure. Like if I was him, you know, I'm, I'm ready to kind of move on to my next chapter based on how well he's played this year and, and try to get back to playing some meaningful basketball games. So yeah, I don't know. It's I, to me, it's a tough sell. And, you know, if, if they can get a top quality assistant coach who wants his first shot, I think that they should do that. I think that's, that's the right play for them. And it might be frankly, their best play available. Unless they win the lottery and get Cade and then, and then everything suddenly looks much brighter because you have Fox <laughs> and Cade and everything looks better. Uh, meanwhile, with no Donovan Mitchell, with no Mike Conley, with their backs up against the wall, a loss tonight combined with the Suns win would have put the Suns into the number one spot, but the Jazz hold on and get this dominant victory. So the coach of the year conversation, I think my view on it, and like I haven't checked in with voters on this, my view on it is that it's likely to be whoever wins the West. So if the Suns win the Western Conference, Monty Williams gets it. If the Jazz, if the Jazz win the Western Conference, um, Quinn Snyder gets it. I think there will be votes for Tibbs. I think there will be votes for a handful of other guys. But I think that mostly it's going to be Quinn Snyder versus Monty Williams for Coach of the Year. Um, is there anyone else that you would put on the list that you think deserves serious consideration? No, I mean, I, uh, I wrote for my newsletter at the Washington Post this week. Right now, my pick would be Quinn, but I think you're right. I do think that that kind of hinges on they've got to finish with that top seed. Otherwise, there's a strong argument to say that, you know, Phoenix did more with less and you got to reward Monty. Um, I actually kind of think Tibbs is going to win it. I think the voters are going to kind of split between Quinn and um, and uh, and Monty, and they're going to wind up giving it to Tibbs and falling in love with the you know, the biggest overachieving, biggest single season upgrade team, you know, vastly exceeding their preseason uh, over under. And, you know, especially if they keep that four seed in the East, I think that he's going to, you know, just find a way to do it. Call it big market bias. Just call it, you know, easy narrative, low hanging fruit, whatever. I kind of feel like he's going to be the one who steals it. And to me, that would be wrong. You know, I think what Utah has done going from good to great it's so hard. I mean, their point differential is going to get a big boost tonight, but they're up there with some of the best teams from the last decade in point differential. I thought Coach Bud was a worthy winner two years ago in Milwaukee, and I would vote for, you know, Quinn Snyder this year for the same reasons. Consistent excellence, you know, top five, both sides of the ball, great winning percentage, maximizing your team's strengths, uh, you know, consistency factor, uh, really creative offense in terms of ball movement, three-point shots. And then rock solid defense and, you know, making the most out of your players top to bottom. I mean, those are to me, compelling arguments. I don't really see a weak spot in that case. 
So I would vote for Quinn, but I kind of think Tibbs is going to steal it. You know, it's kind of crazy is like Steve Nash is not going to win it. Probably, <laughs> and, and I could like, I understand the arguments for those other guys. Like I think I lean kind of towards Monty um, just for teaching a young team how to win. Like they've got veterans, but they were there last year uh, right on the cusp, you know, had the great bubble performance, which outlined in, in, in Ben's book, bubble ball inside the NBA's fight to save the season available at, bookstores Tuesday, but you've got the jump that they made. You you mentioned going good to great to go from a fringe team to potentially the one seed or at worst, the two seed this season in the West, even with the Lakers injuries, like that's, that's a lot like they, and they've been so rock solid in every phase of the game. Um, I think they deserve a lot of credit, but it's just interesting because Look at the Nets are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They're leading their conference. They have the third best record in the entire NBA. And Kevin Durant has played in a fraction of the games. James Harden has played in a fraction of the games. Their roster has constantly been shuffled with new guys coming in and guys going out, everyone getting dealt and moved in all of these trades. So much inconsistency. You don't know who's playing night to night. And yet they're plus 4.6 in point differential with a 42 and 20 record. Like, I don't know how much to ascribe to Nash because he was the way that he was pitched to us was basically, he's like a collaborator. He's like a consultant and Katie and Kyrie run the team, but neither of those guys have been on the floor. Like Kyrie's been on the floor a lot, but Katie hasn't and Harden hasn't. So it's not just like the superstars make it go, but we say that about most teams. So am I crazy for thinking Nash at least deserves a head nod here in this discussion? Oh, no, not at all. I had him fourth on my little rundown. And for all the reasons you mentioned, people are going to try to nitpick him and say, well, he's, he's got all the talent in the world. What do you want? He hasn't had that talent. So, I mean, he's, he's made it work. And I think his personality has been a right fit. To me, the hilarious coaching swap to imagine, like, you know, sort of like wife swap, whatever that show is. Um, imagine Tibbs coaching the Nets. And imagine Nash coaching the Knicks. I mean, I think the Knicks would be a lottery team in that situation, right? Because they have to win ugly with defense, and that's just not going to be Nash's strength. And I think Tibbs' inflexibility and his just desire to, like, grind on people, I think that would have really backfired with this Nets group where they just yeah. kind of needed everything to be, like, go with the flow. I think they'd probably be, like, the five seed or something like that if Tibbs was coaching the Nets. So it's one of those things where, like, if you traded those two coaches, I think actually both teams would be worse off. Uh, but Nash deserves his credit. Here's how I look at it, though. I think Harden won them an awful lot of games, almost single-handedly, for yeah. long stretches of this season. And so I would give him a you know like really serious All NBA consideration. I would have him on my group, despite this recent injury, which is going to kind of screw him over because of recency bias. And then I would have Sean Marks as Executive of the Year, and I'd say, sorry, Nash, you know you can get honorable mention here, uh, but I would I would go with Quinn instead. The only other guy that I think I have to mention here is uh, Michael Malone, who not like all they've improved every single season. They're not going to have as good of a record this season, probably. But I mean, they're look, they're <laughs> the Nuggets are now 41 and 21. They are 20 games over 500 despite losing Jamal Murray, losing uh, Monte Morris, losing Will Barton. Like this is their guard rotation right now. Faco Campazzo, PJ Dozier, Austin Rivers, Shaq Harrison. Those are their guards right now. 
Uh, Jokic has been great, not that great. <laughs> and you know, no one's been that great. Uh, and on top of it, just like to keep winning after all those injuries, they got, they were up against it going deep into the, into the playoffs last year, the, to the conference finals, all those teams have struggled. And like, you look at it, the Lakers are behind the nuggets. The heat are behind the nuggets. The Celtics are behind the nuggets. Like they've, they've bounced through all of that. Um, and I think it's a, again, like Malone's not going to win it. Shouldn't win it. But I think he deserves a nod in these discussions for having, Getting Michael Porter Jr. to buy into a team concept is a lot harder, I think, than people realize. Well, I cannot wait to see how many shots he averages per game if they play the Lakers in the first round. I mean, oh, my God, it's going to be awesome. Um, I agree with your your general premise. The only thing I would add is they also kind of looked dead in the water in January. You know, they had a lot of really tough, um, whether it was guys in and out of the lineups or just a slow start to their season, probably because of that bubble hangover. There was a chance for that team to break. I mean, as good as Jokic was playing – like they were kind of hanging a little bit and both them and the Dallas Mavericks were able to kind of like weather that early storm, keep it moving and pull themselves together a little bit. And obviously Denver's been more impressive than Dallas, but they kind of followed a similar trajectory there. And I wasn't completely convinced they were going to be able to do it because like you said, we've seen Miami and Boston, two teams that also had really good internal character last year and good leadership players um, struggle to find that momentum. And so I, I give Jokic all the credit. That's why I'm, I'm voting him for MVP. But Malone, to me, those guys are a really nice duo in terms of coach superstar. They have kind of contrasting media personalities. You know, like Malone's one of the best, like, you know, stump speech guys in the league and Jokic never wants to talk. And I, I think they're kind of an interesting odd couple, but they complement each other really well. And they both deserve credit for pull, pulling the nuggets through that tough start. You got anything else before we get out of here? That'll do it, Matt. I think we covered it pretty thoroughly, um, but it was great to catch up with you. And thanks for the insider info on the over-unders and all that, because I know nothing about it. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it was it was very educational. I can always catch you up, Ben. That's Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. Make sure to download or subscribe to his newsletter and also make sure to pre-order Bubble Ball inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season at Bookstores Tuesday. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Give us those five-star reviews. They're so good. Tomorrow, another episode of Locked On NBA. I'm not sure who's on that show now that Anthony Irwin's moved on. But somebody's going to be on that show tomorrow, and you should definitely download and, and listen to it. You can follow me on Twitter at HB Basketball, And I'm on the Locked On Nuggets podcast as well, as well as all over the Action Network. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you again next time on Locked On NBA.